Yeah, that's rough. Now this is a cold open. I didn't know it did that. Like on the phone, it says this meeting is being recorded like audioly. Yeah, it's like the beginning of Serial. Or it's like you're getting a call from an inmate in whatever, whatever correctional facility. And then the, the jangly piano intro. People who have seen or listened to the podcast Serial will get what I'm talking about. Justin clearly does not. I thought you meant like cereal cereal at first. <laughs> like the food? Yes, like, what like the cereal. Hell? Oh my god. Okay. I, I was well, pretty confused. If you haven't already left, welcome to Just in the Nick of Time. <laughs> yes, it's been a while, audience, but we are back uh, and talking about cereal. So, And maybe, maybe we'll even graduate to sports at some point in the episode. Yes. You just had me briefly living in a world where like, you had to dial a phone number to get cereal. And I was just very confused because like cereals was like a late 1800s invention. And I don't think phones were around back then. I think you had to like, like send your child, your firstborn to go speak to Captain Crunch himself to get cereal back then. You know what? I I realized there's a, this is going to take me like three seconds and I would just like to say before we start any of the blocks, we need to shout out Husker baseball. The brace ball. Yes. Uh, Very nearly advancing to the college world series. If a couple ball and strike calls go differently, we, enter the ninth inning tied with Arkansas with a spot in the super regionals on the line. But as we know, uh, that did not happen. And Nebraska baseball loses in the regional final against the top team in the country. I mean, nominally the top team in the country. Yeah. They then got the shit kicked out of them by an unranked team. So you know, when you don't have enough non-conference matchups, Kevin Warren, sometimes you get ranked lower than you should be, Kevin Warren, and sometimes it allows other entire other conferences to look better than they are, Kevin Warren. And so, Kevin Warren, so you. Uh, I'm sorry, we did, I did not swear at Kevin Warren. But, um, yes, suffice it to say, Moments of disappointment in what was a really great run and bode super well for the future of the sport in Lincoln, which is pretty much just our college team and a minor league team that is there. Gotta love, gotta love whatever their name is. I'm kidding. I know their name, but it's funnier if I don't. (laughs) Yeah, Nebraska didn't exactly get the benefit of the doubt from the seating committee and I think the Big Ten is mostly to blame for that. I had a wonderful conversation with the checkout guy at Super Saver Liquor Store about this. So, uh, oh my God, what does he think? This may be a surprise, but he thinks there's a conspiracy against Nebraska from the Big Ten. And, uh, really? Yeah. And they're Shock. trying to prevent us from doing good. And, 
that's why we were the lowest ranked two seed and had to face Arkansas despite winning the conference. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that it's necessarily that the Big Ten has a conspiracy against Nebraska. I think COVID, the more I think about this, I think COVID has forced the Big Ten to prioritize. And what they have done is prioritize their bigger schools and prioritize the sports that they care about more. And so, yes, the Big Ten decided to make a super open path for Ohio State to go to the playoff at the expense of, like, not only Nebraska, but all of their smaller, like, quote-unquote, smaller teams or smaller markets. Um, the same thing happened in baseball. There are, like, one or two or three teams that really give a damn about baseball in the Big Ten. And, you know, I shouldn't say give a damn because I'm sure these other teams care, but there are one or two or three legitimate contenders to do anything in the postseason in baseball in our conference. And it's what? It's like us, Maryland, and who's the other team that went? Indiana? Michigan. Michigan. Right, like, and the other two are not going to be so upset about it that they want to mutiny against the conference. So I think it's like the cost-benefit analysis of not taking any care of Nebraska over the last two years has been, you know, it's been very easy for the Big Ten to say, well, whatever. Every time a big decision didn't, you know, had to go against us. And I also question just truly how much impact the Big Ten had on the NCAA seeding for the tournament. Like, I, like, I don't think they were calling up Kevin Warren to ask what to do about Nebraska. I think they had their minds made up about the Big Ten, you know. I, I think they had their minds made up about the Big Ten. I think if we had won some big non-conference games, we would have been a low one seed instead of the highest two seed, which yeah. would have been – that would have made a huge difference for us. We would absolutely be in a super regional – and we almost beat the number one team in the nation, which tells you that if we were in a different super regional, we would almost certainly be headed to Omaha. Yeah, I I just wanted the East Carolina region, but, you know, it, <laughs> things happen. Yeah, the, the thing that sucks is there are certainly teams that we are better than at the very least on paper. And that would almost certainly translate to the field in Omaha right now. And I think what's difficult to understand about the College World Series, if you're not from Nebraska, is it is our only big baseball thing. That is it. We do not have a major league team. The closest major league team is three hours away. And it's the Kansas City Royals. Extrapolate my views on the Kansas City Royals from the way I said it, listeners. But, you know, 
when you live in the Great Plains, baseball can feel like this thing that happens far away from you. And so having the pinnacle of the college level of the sport here is really meaningful to, you know, people come down from South Dakota for that. Um, people, people flock in from Iowa for that, sadly. Um, you know, it's, it's really, it's pretty important to this state. I remember one of my first instances of like sports morning was when Rosenblatt got torn down. I, I don't know. I think it is. I, I do not think there's a giant conspiracy cahoots against Nebraska. What I will say is I think it is another instance of the conference seeing that Nebraska gives a damn about something that they do not give a damn about and still saying, well, we're not going to give you the ability to pursue it. Well, it wasn't like Nebraska was a shoe-in favorite to win the conference. It was kind of, you know, a surprise run. Like, not that we came out of nowhere, but it was a second-year head coach. Like, we obviously care about baseball, but it's not like I, you're I, expected favorites to win the conference to make the College World Series. The I see what you're saying, but someone was going to win the conference, and their seating would have been better. If, you know, if they had better non-conference they, games. They had any non-conference games. Yes, that's true. Any non-conference games. And furthermore, this also would have helped Michigan. And this also would have helped... Um, who's the oh. other team that went? Maryland? Yep. Nebraska and the M's. But yeah, I didn't want to spend too much time on this. Just to say, hey... Will Bolt and Nebraska baseball. That was fun. Congratulations on a good run. And yeah, thanks for, thanks for bringing some really fun baseball back to Lincoln. I got the chance to go to a couple of the games and it was a blast. Yeah, exactly. Just, just winning that second game against Arkansas was the most excited I've been about a Nebraska men's sport in a while. So God, that was the best. Best win for us in a in a hot minute. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. Sp- speaking of college sports as postseasons transition, uh, we so smooth, silky smooth. <laughs> We've talked on the show about uh, ways that we'd like to see the college football playoff expand, and if we think it will or not. And finally, this week. The college football playoff has their little their committee on expansion has uh, found a solution that will likely be pretty much what the expanded college football playoff looks like when it does expand. It, this is not official yet. There could be some minor changes, but more or less, this is what you're getting when the college football playoff expands, which it was always going to do and is going to do. Now, and so. it's a little sad that it's taken this long. Yeah. Yep. So the popular thought was just going from four to eight teams, but that's not what happens. We are going from four teams to 12 teams making the college football playoff. 
How does that work in a bracket? Well, the first four teams get a bye, and they will play uh, the winners of the other eight teams who play. Flawlessly explained. Um, so team five plays team 12, six, 11, seven, and eight. I think I messed it up. I forgot nine, whatever. So we go look it up. Google go it. look it up. Oh, uh, seven and 10, and then eight and nine. Boom. And oh my God, I'm going to watch my co host have a stroke. <laughs> and then the one seed plays the uh, highest seed remaining out of those winners, and second seed, the second highest, and so forth. So that's how the new bracket looks. But there's not enough bowl games to do all of the semifinals. Exactly. So the first round of the playoffs, the 18 bracket, I mean, the lower seed will have the game on their campus, a home game, a home playoff game for teams five, six, seven, and eight. This is the one thing I could see changing because it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to reward teams five through eight with a home game and yet have teams one through four wait for those home games to complete and then play a bowl game instead. Uh, I, I, game. I disagree. I think this is, I think this is great because it, so what this does is it stratifies everything. It takes the first four. You don't even have to play. So Justin, you would take a bye week over a home game, right? I would, but I just think, sort of handicapping those four even with the bye week doesn't make sense. And and I don't think the athletic directors will be happy that, you know, they don't get that extra home game revenue. And that's why I could see it changing more so than just the unfairness of it. I personally just don't have any issues with uh, them just being automatically in a bowl game and the previous round being on campus because you know it's going to be the same four teams we always get you know they don't need anything special but i just think that there's reasons why they are justifiably potentially not happy about it i mean i suppose i guess what i would say is like i i have two thoughts one Okay, you don't like your bye week. You want to make revenue. That's fine. Go ahead and schedule a game. Find someone to schedule a game against. Go ahead. Right? Like, we'll let you, we'll just leave the weekend open for you. You can bring someone to town if you'd really prefer to play than have a bye week. But, yeah, okay, if the revenue is so important to you, you can go make money. Right? Like, I'm I'm cool with that. Um, because, like, I get what you're saying. I get that athletic directors would complain about this. But only the, like, money-sucking evil ones who don't give a damn about the team's success and really only want that sweet, sweet Saturday revenue. Like, this is a... 
yes, I see some athletic directors complaining about this. It's also a terrible position to hold because from a football fan's perspective, from a team's perspective, you would much rather have the bye week. In fact, my point on this whole playoff thing is, does the bye week give you too big of an advantage moving forward? Since you are already the best four teams in the nation, does the bye week mean that every year we will get at least three of the top four seats? I think we're, we're going to get that regardless, honestly. Uh <laughs> That's just sort of the way college football has worked these past few years. And pending any major changes in the landscape, we'll probably continue to work for the next few years at least. So the bye being too much of an advantage doesn't concern me because the Alabamas, the Clemsons, and the Ohio States already have just such a giant head start from their years of positive feedback loops that you know yeah i don't disagree that those three teams are almost undoubtedly in the semifinal every year for the foreseeable future and by foreseeable i mean the next five years right like there could obviously be slip-ups things change fast in college football but okay let's say alabama wins the conference let's say um, Ohio State wins their conference. Let's say Clemson wins their conference. Well, don't you want to see Oklahoma versus LSU? And don't you think that's a damn close game? The second best SEC team versus the best Big 12 team? This is kind of like my quick fix for the playoff was always make four play a wild card game against five. That way, no five team ever gets to bitch again. And lots of them have had very, very solid grievances, right? When you have a group of five team that legitimately looks like a contender, put them in the five spot, have them play the four. If they get trounced, they shut up and go home. And if they win, well, then we legitimately have what we now think is the best, the fourth best team in the nation. But I I do like this expansion a lot better than that. And I think that's because, okay, Scott Frost and UCF don't get to be annoying under this world. Yeah. Right. Because that is uh, because they get trounced eventually. Well, first, I feel like I should explain uh, how these teams will be selected before I uh, go on my group of five point. Uh, the college football playoff field will not just be uh, selected by the committee. There are a few rules this time. The top four seeds will go to the four highest ranked conference champions, which hilariously excludes Notre Dame permanently. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe they did this. I think this is the NCAA saying join a damn conference. Which is terrifying to me because I think it might be us. Uh, They've been flirting with the ACC more so than the Big Ten. Again. Yeah, but the ACC, that was just, they wanted somewhere to play basketball and volleyball. I think if they ever had to buckle down and join a conference, 
they would prefer a better football conference. I, I don't know. I just think it's possible that they throw that curveball at us. I could see it, but I don't think Notre Dame's going to really complain that much because one, their athletic director was on the committee that decided these rules. I see. And two, it does sort of make sense because Notre Dame does not have to play a conference championship game. And those top four teams will have had an extra game on their schedule against a really tough opponent that Mm. they won and deserve to get that by with. And so Notre Dame already functionally gets a bye. Yes. A week earlier. And that's not the only uh, rules for who makes the playoff Uh, beyond just the four highest ranked conference champions. uh, The six highest ranked conference champions get an automatic qualifying bid to the 12 team playoff. That's right. The six highest ranked. There are only five power five conferences, which means at least one group of five team is making the playoff every single year now. And if there's another weird year, like in the 2020 season where uh, both Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina finish ranked ahead of Oregon, the Pac-12 champion, uh, Oregon gets left out and the two group of five teams get in. I don't really see that happening again, but it's possible. All right, Justin, tell me what you think about this. I love it. (laughs) Why? All I ever wanted for the little guy was a chance. Like, for a sport where a team can win all of their games and have no chance at the ultimate prize is just so stupid. when When the playoff was announced, they promoted it as every team has a chance. And then the second that a team that's not from the five conferences that made the playoff thought they had a legitimate shot, they were completely shut out. And I thought that was just unfair. And I've always sort of stuck up for the little guy in college football because I think that's where a lot of the fun of the sport happens is in those lower conferences where one team just has a magical run and you know, I think they need a deserving celebration of that season that culminates in a lot more than a peach bowl. And just giving them a chance at the playoff. Like, people are going to say they're just going to get trounced. Well, they're likely not going to make the top four and get a bye. And against the uh, New Year's Six competition that they've played so far, which would be pretty much fit the bill of the good but not quite top four playoff good that they have played so far uh they've done pretty well they win about as much as they lose in those primetime bowl games so i don't think it's that unrealistic that every now and then this team will win or at least come very close in a playoff game and even if they don't win the darn thing just that them getting a chance to prove themselves and even just get one postseason win that matters is all I really wanted from this sport. Like, and it's more ever, and it's more than I ever thought I would get from college football. Like, 
it's not it's, this isn't even a you have to be undefeated it's just the best group of five champion is guaranteed a spot now okay so thank you for that justin yes um i respect you i respect your opinion you know more about sports than i do i understand the romantic angle of your argument right like i understand the the beauty of the little guy coming in and getting a chance every year but listener justin's wrong here's why every year justin i promise you every year these guys are gonna get murked they are gonna get trounced and the reason is not because these teams are not subs- like not as good as these other schools on any given Sunday. But the reason is because these are absolute must-win games for the other programs, right? It is a huge, huge, huge deal for these other programs to win. Can you imagine if Nebraska got an eight seed and then ended up playing or I guess what seed a nine seed would play the five seed right no uh, it's it's five twelve six eleven seven ten eight nine I figured so it then out who ends up who ends up playing the five seed in the second round it's if the five seed wins they will play the four seed if the 12 oh, right, seed gets right. an upset they will play the one seed Right. I mean, but imagine Nebraska or a school like Nebraska against a group of five team in a playoff game. The coach gets like, I don't know if they get fired, but they're automatically in hot water if we lose to Eastern Carolina or UCF or um, Cincinnati in a playoff game. Because that means we've got one of our best teams in years. And if that team is not better than a team that, like, gets a fraction of the money spent on them and a fraction of the media money and has a university that is, frankly, like a fraction of the power, generally, of our university, like, this is an absolute must-win for these bigger teams. If you lose the New Year's Six Bowl game against these guys well that sucks but it's not the end of your football program to lose to these guys in a playoff would be an embarrassment which is why i think that the entire college football community who cheers for power five teams and every power five team is going to try and knock these guys out of the playoff so hard that they cannot possibly get ranked in the top 25 ever again as conferences. Like what happens if for the first five straight years, the group of five team loses their first game? What if teams are legitimately saying, we don't care if we lose this next game because we think we'll dip in the ratings to be like the 12 seed, which actually gives us an easier matchup than playing the six or seven or eight seed. Well, 
I th- um people have gone back and uh done the playoff format for previous seasons and like at least three or four out of every five seasons uh the group of five team gets that 12 seed so i don't really see any teams trying to tank to play them because more off because knowing how the committee seeds things they're likely going to be a 12 or 10 at or maybe even like an eight maximum because mm. there's just so many power five teams that would rather host the playoff game and will get more respect from the pollsters than the group of five team. But um, if they lose the first five, then that's a tough question, but I still like the spot being there just in case, because I think it's possible. Like there have definitely been, group of five teams over the years that have had legitimately good wins against uh, power five teams. Um, I want to say 2015, a Houston beating Oklahoma in the regular season. That's something that should matter. Like when thinking about these things, like I think that yes, it would be embarrassing to lose to them, but, but from their perspective, the way the group of five works, like this is their only spot and this could be really their only shot. So you're getting their best shot night in and night out, like in these big games. And I don't think it's unrealistic to say that works out in their favor at least once or could potentially. And March Madness, you remember the ones that go in their favor more than the vast majority of ones that don't. That's true. And in college sports, this is pretty much the uh, foundation for most postseasons. Most postseasons in college sports have an insane amount of at-large seeds that get to participate and have a chance at the title. So uh, even if they lose the first five, I think the uh, idea of an upset happening is still worth keeping them around. And if the games are just that non-competitive and there is such a clear gap between them, then just break away the power five and pretend they don't exist because it's either you have these teams and you give them a shot or you just break away. And I think giving them a shot should hopefully, I hope I don't eat my words, but prove that these real, the really good teams do belong I, I was going to say, and I think I neglected to say at the outset, that my preferred realignment would have been take the Power Five, break it into four conferences, and the four winners of each of those conferences play. You know, make it a professional sports league in every sense of the word. Keep the names, call it the Orange Bowl. I don't give a damn continue to have lower teams play each other in bowl games that's fine but i i get frustrated with this format because i am not convinced that it is the best way to crown a champion it's it's i think 
it's sorry. not my ideal one. It's not what I would have done, but I think it's better than what I expected them to come up with. And that's why I'm happy about it. Oh, totally. Totally. And maybe I'm letting the perfect be the enemy of the good here. But like, I think a lot of people saw this group of five thing and were like, that's great. And we're super excited. And I saw this group of five thing and I was like, why are we caving to them? Like, I get that he's our coach now and I get that we want him to do well. But the Scott Frost UCF claiming a national title thing was really pompous and really annoying. And a lot of chest beating over... I mean, there were clearly better teams than them that year. Now, you can say, if you want to wear a t-shirt that says, hey, committee, we think we should have gotten a shot at the title next year, reform it so that we can have a shot at the title. That I would have been less mad about, right? I realize that does not fit cleanly on a t-shirt, but like, I just... I am frustrated with these teams. I am frustrated with their fan bases. And as much as I think a lot of people are cheering for them, I am sort of cheering against them. Okay. Because I think a lot of people see them as the plucky underdog, and I see them as pesky whiners who need to be destroyed by real football teams. But, like, (laughs) what does giving them one spot out of 12 hurt? Like, the 11 team is likely going to be eight and three and finish second in their division at most. So they're probably going to get killed just as much as the group of five teams do. So like, I I think you're focusing on the wrong enemy of what, uh, of what expanding the playoff field to 12 will do to a let less than stellar teams in. We're getting a team that finishes fifth in the sec at least a couple times in this format. And I don't see how adding the group of five would really ruin like this format because we're letting teams that probably don't have a legitimate claim of being the best team in the country. If you're eight and three and have lost to teams ahead of you and are only there because of your strength of quality loss, which would be a lot of teams. If you look over past seasons and who finishes in the top 12, I think so. I, I see that point. I do want to, and eventually we need to move on because yes. we're going to end up talking about this a lot. When does this go into effect? The earliest it could be is 2023. But if that were the case, uh, they would have to renegotiate a TV deal with ESPN because ESPN's contract runs until 2026. It's, and if they want an open bidding between multiple networks for this new playoff, then 2026 is when it will happen. So I th- my hope is that they know that the fans want this really soon and that we've been complaining about this for a long time. And I think that I could totally see them just renegotiating with ESPN until 2026 and then having the open bidding war. Um, I mean, it probably strengthens their open bidding war to have stats on how viewed these lower games were. I think what's fun about this is like sometimes it's hard to decide if you want to watch the Sugar Bowl if it's not a playoff game for a Nebraska fan, which is basically a neutral postseason fan these days. Um, But like 
every single one of these games is now going to be must-watch TV. Yes, exactly. Or at the very least, you turn you tune in when they're close to the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. Which brings me to my final point about this. Uh, even if it doesn't change the fact that it's Alabama, Clemson, or Ohio State will win every year, at least we're going to get playoff games that mean something and can potentially be entertaining. It's kind of like how transition in the NBA, the outcome sometimes can sort of seem very obvious as to what can happen in the playoffs, but that doesn't mean that we don't get a lot of entertaining series just elsewhere in the bracket, even if they don't truly affect the ultimate outcome. But this year in the NBA, things are a bit different. Welcome to Justin's NBA segment. That would have been a really good transition if you didn't say transition in the middle of the transition. Yes. Uh, (laughs) It's what I always do because I'm never really confident in my transitions. So I feel like if I'm self-aware, that uh, (laughs) loses some of the bad, even if it messes up what would have been a good transition otherwise. Fair enough. So what's what's the format? We match up so far. What's the story? All right. We are in the uh, conference semifinals right now in the NBA. And already we are going to have the first NBA finals since 2009 that does not have Steph Curry or LeBron James playing in it. We are going to have the first NBA finals since 2006 that does not have Curry, LeBron, or the Lakers. And we are going to have the first NBA Finals since 1998 that doesn't have the Lakers, Curry, LeBron, or the Spurs. Hi, y'all. Editing Justin here. Uh, I forgot about the 2006 Finals between the Heat and the Mavericks when I was saying that stat, so it's actually the second Finals since 1998. New things are happening in the NBA. That's rad as hell. We are finally random, but... Part of that might just be because this was the shortest offseason in NBA history, given just how late the bubble went. And a lot of those teams that made late bubble runs had a lot of injuries in the season and weren't really at full strength that much during the season. And you're seeing a lot of injuries in this playoffs, which makes things random and could be the reason why we have such a changing of the guard this year. But I think it's just a coincidence that it's coinciding with all of the young talent on the up and up. And even if, you know, in the next one to two years, it sort of corrects itself. The future is coming. And for the most part, it's here right now in the playoffs. I've got to say, as the most casual of casual NBA fans, it is really exciting to feel like any of these teams could win from here on out. It is really exciting to think that like we are not watching the same NBA that we have been watching since literally we were born 98. That's a year before either of us were born. Like that is rad. Um, I'm excited to see like, I guess I kind of bandwagoned on this Nets team because I'm a James Harden fan. They're they're looking shakier. 
I do not like this Bucks team. I do not like Giannis Antetokounmpo. I have no reason not to like this Bucks team. I just don't like them. And honestly, I couldn't tell you what's going on in the Western Conference. All right. So that's what I'm here for. <laughs> exactly. And this I think the you're... Jazz are good. Are the Jazz good? Yes. I'm a sports genius. <laughs> well, if you haven't been paying attention, uh, here's, <laughs> here's the rundown. Uh, besides, and if, you're, if you haven't been paying attention to the NBA, this is like the perfect time to do it because everything is so up in the air right now. Because oh, wait, besides... I... I know one more thing that's going to make the readers or the listeners not think I'm stupid. Uh, the Suns beat the Lakers and LeBron, man. Yes, the Suns beat the Lakers in six in the first round. Anthony Davis got hurt game four and the Suns took it without that. But that even with uh, the injury, it sort of shows sort of the changing of the guard that's been happening because LeBron has led teams without a superstar co-star deep in the playoffs before he's never lost in the first round before he's 36 and has been, and has missed significant time due to injury in two out of the last three seasons. He's old, but the same thing I do with Tom Brady and Alabama football, I will consider them dead when I see it. I never want to predict them dead, but there are more signs now than there have ever been with LeBron James. I don't think he's dead. Like, I think he's going to be a perennial postseason threat as long as he wants to stay in the game, or at least for like the next few years. I also think you mentioned, when does his son get to the league? Uh, he's His son's like a sophomore in high school, so it'll be like four or five years. Yeah. I don't know if he hangs around long enough to do the Ken Griffey Jr., Ken Griffey Sr. thing. But I think that that might be a marker in his mind. I think maybe he wants to get... I mean, like, what are the metrics? If he gets one more ring, does that put him over the top of any of the greats? I I think LeBron's legacy, whatever... You think of it has been pretty much cemented at this point. Like if you have him as behind Michael Jordan, I don't think there's anything he can do that will take him over that. Similarly, vice versa. If you have him as the greatest player of all time, him losing a few times in his late career doesn't change that. Like him losing in the first round to the Suns this year does nothing to his legacy. It just loses one of the coolest stats about his career that he's never lost a first round series. That's all. Right. Yeah, I think one of the things I'm excited about is I feel like we're seeing a shift to team-focused basketball, which is exciting because I think the one single star trouncing on some people thing, you know, four guys who were wearing blue jeans two minutes before the game started and do not give a shit like some of those Cavs teams were. That was really boring and very annoying, and I did not like it. And it's a big part of the reason I couldn't get into basketball when we were younger. And also, yeah, I think none of those big-name teams ever enticed me to cheer for them. 
And so, you know, here I am kind of excited. Yes. Vaguely excited about the NBA. And with good reason, because right now, uh, besides the Phoenix Suns, who swept the Denver Nuggets in the Western Conference semifinals already, because uh, the Nuggets starting point guard Jamal Murray, arguably the second best player on that team, tore his ACL out for the entire season. It was, quite frankly, a huge accomplishment for them just to win one playoff series against the solid Blazers team. But the Suns are just very legit this year. Uh, Chris Paul, who is arguably the most legendary active player without a championship ring, has probably his best team and his best chance to do it yet this year. Does Harden have a ring? He does not. Like, it's either him. Yeah, shut the hell up. Shut the hell up. Chris Harden has been playing since way like more 2004. Yeah, Harden is going to be remembered as one of the best players from this generation. Chris Paul is going to be like, oh, yeah, that guy, Chris Paul's there. He's the best pure point guard of this generation, though. Yeah. And James Harden is doing things that, like, no one has ever done with a basketball before. He's got the best Euro step ever. His point totals are freaking insane. He carried my sad, pathetic Rockets teams for a long time, Justin. And now he's on a historic, historic team. And hopefully he can get back from injury. And hopefully they can get past the Bucks, And hopefully they can win these finals. Because I'm looking at three dudes, but particularly I think Durant and Harden, who desperately deserve a ship this year. Karmically deserve a ship. And did everything to put themselves in position to get one. And it's going to be real sad if injuries stop them. Yeah, but I mean... Every team has at least one injury that's been nagging them throughout this postseason. Yeah. So it's it's just part of the game. It it sucks. I wish every team was full strength always, but it's just kind of what happens. But yep. It besides, always has been. But besides the Suns already in the Western Conference Finals, every other series is tied 2-2 right now. So it's essentially a best of three for those three remaining spots in the NBA playoffs. And here's a quick rip, whip around of what series are going on. Uh, Ooh. The, Suns will play the, the, the Suns will play the winner of Clippers Jazz, which is 2-2 right now. The one-seeded Jazz have been dominant at home all postseason because they're practically playing with a full house there in Utah. And I have missed I took playoff basketball crowds for granted. Like the fans get so close to the action in basketball. I think more so than any other major American sport. And uh, it is just awesome to see buildings explode again. And that's why I'm, I'm really happy about this playoffs for a number of reasons, but seeing a lot of long suffering fan bases get to return right as their teams are doing good is amazing. And, Utah is one of the prime examples of that. But after taking the first two games at home against the Clippers, the Clippers, 
who beat the Mavericks in seven, uh, despite a fantastic uh, Luka Doncic performance against them, have really come into their own in games three and four at their home facility in the Staples Center in Los Angeles. Uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are very, very difficult to stop when they are both playing fantastic in the postseason, like truly living up to their full potentials, which last year and in seasons past has been sort of an issue, especially for Paul George, but it seems like they're shaking off their demons in a major way in this postseason. And Utah's kind of got that old Rockets feel where they are going to three bomb you to death behind the three-point arc. And the Clippers are the rare team that can match it. And Kawhi Leonard has never lost a postseason series after going down 0-2, which is a weird stat, but it's true. So I think the Clippers probably take this series against the Jazz. And Chris Paul plays his old team with a spot in the finals on the line. But I wouldn't discount the Jazz out yet. They were the top seed for a reason. I I have decided I'm going to give cryptic predictions after each of these after each of these little things bear in mind listener i know nothing about basketball and you should definitely listen to justin over me but here it is is everybody ready yeah joseph smith will smile (laughs) yeah good huh yes fantastic good good so now the eastern conference the Eastern Conference, uh, you have mentioned the Nets and the Bucks. They are tied 2-2 right now. The Nets destroyed the Bucks in games one and two. It was so fun. It was just like, as someone who is a bandwagon fan of this team, it was so fun to see them do exactly what I wanted them to do. I, I finally have allowed myself to bandwagon. Like, I'm not even aggressively a fan of this team, but just like fully bandwagon. For once, and like those two bucks, bucks games were exactly what you want out of a team you're bandwagoning for, which was just annihilation. Oh, it was beautiful. And then sad things happen. Tell us about the sad things, Justin. Yes, uh, despite winning games one and two very handily without James Harden, uh, the series went back to Milwaukee. And in game three, this is my have been the most fun I've had watching a playoff game this season just because of how terrible that game was. It became fun again because neither team had any idea what to do offensively other than just give the ball to a guy and see what he can do. It was like that for the entire fourth quarter finished like 83, 82. It was terrible, but I love random things in the NBA so much that I enjoyed that. And so the bucks get that freak win at home where, Everybody on the Nets just had an off night and the defensive adjustments finally happened by the Bucks. And then in game four, uh, what you really didn't need for the Nets was a Kyrie Irving to get hurt alongside James Harden and the Bucks pretty much coasting to victory as Kevin Durant has a sort of LeBron Cavs team around him now. And if he wants to take the throne away from LeBron, who is out of the playoffs at this point, and if you want to put your foot down and say, I'm the best player alive, I don't care who's hurt and who's not, you win these next, you win two out of these next three against a solid Bucks team 
which swept the Miami Heat, who had a lot of problems, but was still a team that had a core that made a very deep playoff run last year. So this Bucks team improved a lot from the seasons previous. And but unless Kevin Durant just has this takeover moment, I see the Bucks advancing without Harden and Kyrie. But if the Nets just get one of them well, back, Harden, I, I think it's over for the Bucks because the Nets team is yeah, just what's the that good, fully healthy. Was that what's the prognosis on those two? Kyrie is for sure out for game five. Um, and Harden has been listed as doubtful for game five tonight, but those hamstrings are just really not things you can rush back on. So we'll see. Here's my very biased, very cryptic prediction. Hipsters crush beers. <laughs> yeah. Even though I'm, I'm sort of, uh, happy i guess that the super team era is over and we get teams like the jazz and the suns who are pretty much just one star and like one star but not a superstar and a bunch of guys who play well together i'd be cool if the nets get one just because that team has never been successful before like i'll give them one championship before i start hating on them just because they're the nets like it's the nets i see but like I am against, like, one superstar. Like, I'm against, like, those LeBron Cavs teams, right? I am not at all against super teams. I think super teams are great. Uh, That Heat team that you so idolized was incredibly fun. It was a different LeBron. It was good guy LeBron. He was going to get his, and we were all happy for him. I don't think that's really how it worked. It was... He was sort of good guy LeBron when he came back to Cleveland. He was bad guy LeBron in Miami. <sighs> yeah, I mean, but he was less bad guy LeBron than Lakers LeBron, who's just, I'm a geriatric who's trying to convince you I'm better than Mike, even though I can never do that because I'm not as cool as Mike. That is, that is LeBron's key flaw. Michael Jordan is way more rad than him. I'm even willing to believe that LeBron's a better basketball player. But Michael Jordan is just simply, as the kids say, swaggier. And I think that, like, until LeBron kills his dad and plays semi-pro baseball for a year, I won't be as impressed with him. And has a crippling gambling addiction. I'm not going to be impressed with him. You you cannot be as cool. Like, LeBron is going to try and make his last dance. And that is when we are all going to say, I don't give a damn who's better. Mike was way more rad. As the kids used to say. Uh, releasing Space Jam 2 after losing in the first round of the playoffs is a look it's, for sure. It's a look. It's a good look, my guy. Like, <laughs> I am so excited for this movie again which is why i'm like excited for lebron's inevitable last dance it is another way for lebron to show us that like a sad aging lebron desperately making a last ditch push to look cooler than mike it's it's sad it's really truly like this is what bothers me about lebron he is as arrogant and self-impressed as michael jordan but he doesn't have the personality to back it up. 
And like, no, go ahead. He definitely wants to be liked more so than Mike did. I think that's what made us all like Mike. If, If Michael Jordan ran around trying to push, I like Mike, we would have been like, you're an asshole. But because he didn't care whether we liked him or not, he was way cooler. I could see, I could see Michael Jordan, like, I mean, like, doing a bunch of things we can't talk about on this podcast because it's a family show. Uh, for one, killing his dad. Um, but I, I, I can hardly see LeBron having the medal to like save a kitten from a tree without Anthony Davis's help. To like lift him like a ladder man. I, I, you know, yeah, I, I don't know. LeBron's gonna have a dumb legacy, and I'm happy about it. The, the thing, like with LeBron, is that I think we just get so focused on just his legacy, and I think he's a big part of that. Just yeah, like like just how he leans into it just makes it a bit less fun because I. I hate like talking about we've talked about his legacy so long now that his career's felt like it's been over just by us talking about it in the present. That, that's what I don't like. It's if it, it, I feel like it takes the fun away from just the league as a whole when you focus so much on these players as points in history. Like and and I'm, you know, a bit guilty of that admittedly, but I like talking about, you know, now. Is he the best player in the world now? And if not, who? Like, I like the idea of there being a crown that these players try to snatch instead of him chasing a ghost of Jordan. Like, I'd much rather his greatest rivals be looked at in history as, you know, Durant, Kawhi Leonard, Curry, Tim Duncan, than just only Michael Jordan. But yet it seems that just the entire career mostly it's been how can he chase this ghost of a player and I feel like that really puts a damper on the story when you see Mike is just the greatest of his era and that's what made him the greatest of all time instead of always fighting historical comparisons I mean I don't know I I think that LeBron like we're doing what LeBron wants we're litigating exactly. the conversation. He got LeBron knocked was. out first round. There are so many fun basketball teams this year. Why are we yeah. talking about LeBron? Well, we can't not talk about him, Justin. Like, he is the NBA. And for a show that very rarely talks about the NBA, we can't say, like, we've already done our LeBron hash through. This is, like, necessary, regrettably. And I think it's, it's another one of those things that turns me off of the league. Can you imagine a podcast in what year was it that Jordan played baseball? It was, uh, I want to say 95 and yeah, 94, 95 ish. Can you imagine any sports media in 94, 95 that tries to talk about the NBA season without saying how different does this look with Mike on the floor? It's, it's a silly conversation not to address them. 
and almost got to overaddress them, which actually speaks to like what LeBron was able to do. If LeBron was only trying to convince me he's the best player of his generation, I wouldn't be so mad at, mad at him. It is this obsession with legacy that makes me really irritated with the guy. And the fact that every time he moves across the country to go himself out to another basketball organization, I got to hear about it. And I got to have an opinion about it. And everybody's got to have an opinion about it. And it's just, ah, retire. It's like, he is somehow more irritating to me than Tom Brady. Because at least now Tom Brady has gone to a team where it would be, it felt like it might be really hard to win a Super Bowl. You know? I mean, if you ignore the fact that they had an excellent defense and were basically just a quarterback away. Yes, but it was if if LeBron had gone to play with Zion in New Orleans, that would have been fun. That would have been a good time. But he didn't. And so here we are watching what the Lakers be good again. I could really give a sh- It's the Lakers. We expect them to be good. We revel when they're bad. It's the Lakers. If you live outside of Los Angeles, you hate them. It's the Lakers. Uh, LA Lakers organization, please feel free to take any of these taglines from me. Um, If you can't be Mike, you might as well be Shaq and Kobe at the same time. It's the Lakers. Like... I don't know. You are right that we have wasted too much breath on LeBron here. Yeah. But he also annoys me so much. Well, then you should enjoy these playoffs because this is probably the first glance of what a post-LeBron NBA will look like. I'm so excited. Tell Tell me about this last matchup. We have the Sixers and the Hawks tied at two in the Eastern Conference as well. The Philadelphia 76ers, the number one seed with Joel Embiid, Tobias Harris, and Ben Simmons. They are a really fun team. I love that the big man is important in basketball again. And the fact that he's just the main star of a team is uh, Embiid. The big man is awesome. And with how three-point centric most NBA teams are nowadays, having a team whose star point guard literally cannot shoot threes at all in Ben Simmons is entertaining. Not that Philadelphia doesn't have shooters, but it just feels well-balanced when your top two guys aren't don't make their living at the three-point line. And you have a solid crew of role players, a, good, a lot of 3 and D guys, some veterans off the bench. It's a, it's a fun Sixers team, even if the fan base annoys me because they may be right that they're better off without Jimmy Butler, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and then the Hawks are another one of these really fun young teams. You got Trey Young making his postseason debut and just absolutely crushing it so far. Not afraid of the moment whatsoever. Uh, and as much as I hate the narrative of, oh, the NBA is better when certain teams are better, it was really fun to see the Knicks back in the playoffs and for Trey Young to just be the latest in <laughs> deliverer of Nick's heartbreak and just killing them in the garden, that was you. that was a lot of fun. Go to hell. <laughs> and 
I love the Hawks team because of the young talent and because of their postseason inexperience. They really can't close a game out at all, which leads to some amazingly entertaining finishes down the stretch just by this team just being very chaotic. And Spike oh, Lee is sad. He is. And National treasure Spike Lee is sad. Doesn't I'm that happy make you that he sad? can be sad in public again. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, normally I like it when Spike Lee is sad because it means that, as David Ortiz would say, Dodd. Yankees lose, but um, you know, have you seen this clip? I hope you've seen this clip, or otherwise, I sound like a mad Ben. Did I? Uh, no, I sent you all the brooms. Yes, that is what I did. I noticed baseball, or like the standings in baseball, being conspicuously absent from the blocks list today. Yeah, it's 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 not what's got my attention in sports at the moment. I'll- <laughs> Fair enough. For reasons. There's a lot of ball left to play. Yeah. Which is just so many games for this shitty Yankees team left to potentially lose. I can't even argue at this point. It's <laughs> the team just is what it is. Oh. Anyway. So, yeah, I think Sixers Hawks is probably the most fun series currently active. So pay attention to that. I don't, I think the Sixers playoff experience and just regular season cohesiveness ultimately puts them over the edge, but this Hawks team, no quit in them. And when the series goes back to Atlanta, that is another very fun place to have a playoff game in this year. Very loud crowd gets super into it. Again, if, if you miss the fans in sports and want just to experience the crowd back without actually going to a game. These NBA playoffs are perfect for that. And that's what I have. It's we we're finally random in the NBA. You want, do you, do you want to take a crack at this seamless transition or shall I? You should. I thought you were going there when you brought up baseball, but it, no, I was, I was trying to, to usher you in the right direction. Oh, okay, uh, but but so- sometimes in sports, uh, you're you're like this Nets team with Kevin Durant, where you're just kind of throwing shit at the wall. And baseball is a sport in which one man's job is to throw shit at a wall, and another man's job is to catch that shit before it hits the wall, so it's not a pass pitch, so no base runners advance. Because when base runners advance, they get closer to scoring runs, and when they score runs. On your team, your team loses like the Yankees did to the Red Sox in a fucking sweep in the last series they've played in Yankee Stadium, which at first I was sad about because I wanted to sweep you guys at home. But then I realized we hadn't swept you guys at home in years, years. And so we did that. And baseball is a beautiful sport. And Garrett Cole's a cheater. And we're going to talk about how Garrett Cole's a cheater. Let's talk about spin rate, baby. I hate everything. Pitches be cheating. What's that? I hate everything. <laughs> I I do enjoy. I totally believe some of these Red Sox are cheating. Uh, when you watch our ERA skyrocket right after uh, right after the league says, "Hey, stop cheating. We're gonna crack down now for reals this time." 
uh, that that makes a fella nervous. But Garrett Garrett Cole, one of the most obvious cheaters in the sport. So that's fun. How are these players cheating, Nick? Well, they're cheating by taking like some like Marvel character level adhesives and putting that on their fingers and making their fingers sticky. Now, I don't know a whole lot about baseball mechanics, folks, but I'm going to I'm going to break this down as much as my feeble mind can. And if I'm wrong and Justin knows that Justin can help correct me, but effectively these pitchers for years, for, 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 for the better part of a century at least, have been trying to make their fingers stickier to throw breaking balls. Uh, if you don't know what a breaking ball is, <laughs> loser, you're listening to a sports podcast. Look that shit up. I can't explain the entire sport to you right now. I'm kidding. It's a ball that moves a whole bunch, like a curveball or a slider. Um, the thing that makes these pitches very difficult to hit is one, you don't know where they are going to be on predictability. And two, they are spinning real fast. These are the kind of pitches that you see break bats. Um, That is called spin rate. Um, There are basically two ways to increase spin rate. One, increase velocity. So throw a faster pitch. Two, cheat by making your hands sticky as hell and adding more centripetal force. That's that's a word, right? I like I have watched so many sports science things about this on YouTube. Shout out to Foolish Baseball, shout out to John Boy Media. So there's some fantastic baseball comment commentary on YouTube about this exactly right now. But, you, you know, you can put more spit on the ball if it's sticking to your finger because now it's following your hand more closely and you're not having to put so much inward force on the ball. You can create more centripetal force. Does this make any sense, Justin? Yes. Yeah. I think it's centripetal. It could be centrifugal. I honestly don't remember which is which. Um, don't at me. But... Basically, and I think this is what's super interesting. For years, hitters said, hey, we know pitchers cheat. We know they're cheating a little bit. That's life. That's how it goes. Um, We want them to cheat a little bit because when your hand is really sticky and you are cheating a little bit, it is much harder to bean someone in the head with a fastball and knock their lights out forever a la Sandlot. Um, so like, and the league looked the other way because hitters were getting better and better and the ball was getting easier and easier to hit. And so they were like, Hey, let's level this out with like just a little pine tar. Let's not be unreasonable. And then what did pitchers do? They went and were unreasonable. Um, pitchers are now using it is difficult to know exactly what the hell this substance is, which I think is so fun because Major League Baseball has always needed a friggin' sci-fi plot. But the best understanding of what it is now is melted down pie tar, bullfrog sunscreen, and like 
reduced Coca-Cola, like the sh- your grandma used to put on a bad cake. Like all of those things are are now being used to throw baseballs faster. And what I think is, I think that that aspect is interesting. Just like the scientific level of like, wow, we have really taken what is supposed to be like a real board game of a sport, like a, a pastime that is more about glory than wins. And like, we have ruined it with science. And boy, oh boy, doesn't this feel like a society that could create Jurassic Park, but for real. Second of all, uh, I, what I think is fun is Manfred's like insistence that he is cracking down and nothing changing. He's been cracking down for like the past two to three weeks on this issue. Yeah. And there's yet to be a what suspension. There's yet to be what is that a change like? in the rules. Yeah. This is like when the substitute teacher is like, no, for real kids, you have to learn math. Like, it's so bold to me. And like, if the shortened season didn't prove Manfred's ineffectiveness, if years of Manfred being Manfred didn't prove his ineffectiveness, I don't know what does. But this is yet another example. Oh, if the Astros cheating scandal doesn't prove Manfred's ineffectiveness of like everyone who should not be punished being punished. Like, oh, this is miserable. This whole thing, just like watching this all go down. And the sad thing is, it could have huge ramifications on the season. Yeah. And if it gets if it gets implemented mid-season and people get start to get suspended mid-season, I mean starting pitcher suspensions are long because you have to hit them so hard that it affects the whole rotation. What what I've heard being thrown around is a 10-game suspension for everyone who's getting caught cheating, which for a starting pitcher, that's at least two, if not depending on schedule, three starts. Right. And what if your whole bullpen's cheating? As many people believe, what's that guy's name? Trevor Bauer? Yeah. Yeah. So one of the more interesting standouts here is Trevor Bauer and his beef with Garrett Cole. Trevor Bauer played college ball somewhere. Do you remember? No. But he played with Garrett. Oh, UCLA. And he played with Garrett Cole, who was a better pitcher at UCLA than Trevor Bauer. And Trevor Bauer couldn't understand why. Flash forward to the league. Trevor Bauer notices a ton of people using substances to make their ball spinzier. Um, also, spin is such a dumb thing to have an argument about because the word spin is so inherently funny. But regardless, Trevor Bauer is like, hey, this is BS. I've done everything I can. I've talked to sports scientists about how to make myself a better pitcher. And I'm still not as good as most of these guys. Hmm. What are they doing? And then Trevor Bauer quickly realizes, oh, they're all cheating. And that's bad. So for a couple of years, he goes on a big Twitter campaign calling out the league. And the league gets really mad at him. The league is like, do not call us out, dude. We're, we're a professional baseball league. We're here to make money. We're not here to make good baseball. And Trevor Bauer is like, that sucks. 
But then Trevor Bauer realizes the thing that all intrepid heroes in real life eventually realize. If you can't beat them, join them. And so he does. And he starts using. That is that is pretty much how we know what some of these, that there are higher level adhesives and that one of the best ones is the sunscreen rosin Coca-Cola combination. What kind of stuff? Made in a lab, soul killing, say it ain't so, Joe. Bullshit is this. I absolutely love that the two biggest cheating scandals in recent memory in baseball involve <laughs> either either a combination of like some extremely rare substances into this fine powder that messes with the chemicals in your hand enough to reduce the centrifugal force of the ball or whatever you said and just smacking a trash can with the bat (laughs) i i love that like so it sounds like there's there's another thing we should mention there was a not even a manager just like a an equipment guy who used to work for the los angeles angels who was making for his team and selling across the league this very specific combination right this like very like backwoods synthetic material of all of these things. There's also people who are using stuff that I think is called spider tack that is like used by, I don't know if you ladies and gentlemen who listen to this show have ever seen an Atlas ball competition. I don't know if you've ever been a sick child or unable to sleep at two in the morning and watching when regular ESPN decides to become ESPN but um sometimes you'll see these freaks of nature that shouldn't exist lifting these giant stones that shouldn't exist so as to literally reference a greek myth about a man constantly crushed by a ball it's a great sport look it up it's totally hilarious but they're using the stuff that these dudes use to grab literal massive smooth boulders and they are uh they're using that to throw a baseball, which is like the second smallest ball of any sport behind only golf, the dumbest sport. Maybe tennis. Is tennis small? Racquetball. Racquetball is small. Yep. Like that's for damn sure. Squash. But is racquetball a sport or is it just a pastime for the rich and stupid? Uh, you call it squash and then it's a sport. Is racquetball just squash? From what I can see, yes, but I'm sure there are differences. If if the squash community gets mad at us for this, uh, please fight us. It will be hilarious. I would love to fight the squash community on Twitter, but I would love for it to be the people who are actually growing vegetables. <laughs> you, you think there's going to be like a civil war in the squash community between like squash growers and summer squash growers? Damn, man. Like, is summer squash really a squash? Or is it one of those things that just has the qualifier of being a squash in the summer? Here's what I want. I want squash and racquetball players to kill each other. That sounds fun to me. But regardless... Oh, I lost my train of thought again. Baseball. Yes. Yes. Regardless, Justin, how do you feel about cheating mccheaters uh pitchers uh 
get over yourselves. Um, how many of baseball's <laughs> unwritten rules are to protect your feelings? Oh, yes. don't bat flip after a home run. Don't swing at a 3-0 pitch. Don't steal a base. You're cheating more than they ever will. And yet you think that the rules should protect you? Get over yeah. yourselves. It's like 80 to 90% of the pitchers who use these substances openly cheating, and they have the audacity to think that we should care about their feelings as a fan of a batting team? Get out what? of here. Yes. Correct reaction. Correct reaction. Shut the hell up, pitchers. Yeah. Moreover, why do we go to baseball games? We go to baseball games not to see perfect games. Have you ever watched a perfect game? I have. It's incredible in that you're excited to see if it happens in the moment. Have you ever gone back and watched a perfect game on YouTube? I tried to see if I could just appreciate good pitching. It's so boring. Jesus Christ. When you already know what's going to happen, and the only thing that's going to happen is like a four-hour game of catch with two interesting foul balls. Oh, my God. God, they should use it as a freaking sedative. It is miserable. No one is here for you, pitchers. No one cares about you. And here's the part where I speak to Mr. Manfred directly. Bob, Rob, Bobby, Mr. Manfred, sir. You condescending cock. I am one of these young people who you say does not have the patience to watch a full baseball game. Sir, I have the patience to watch a full ba baseball game. A few days ago, for shits and giggles, I decided to rewatch Game 7 of the Cubs winning the World Series. Because who doesn't need a little damn joy in their lives? Then you know what I did? I watched Game 7 of the 2004 ALCS. Because who doesn't need to remember what joy is, Justin? Who doesn't need to remember who's on the right side of history, Justin? And I learned valuable things from each of those experiences. Those weren't even live games, my dude. They were way more interesting than live games. Do you know why they were more interesting than live games? Because, Rob, people were hitting the ball, Rob. Jesus Christ. So, yeah, tell me that I can't wait for a pitcher to throw the ball. Tell me that I'm going to be on my phone the whole time. Tell me that I'm not going to be interested in this sport because I don't have the capacity. I think it's possibly because for years you've allowed pitchers to get better and better and better at cheating. And oh, by the way, you made a terrible decision to shrink the ball. You bought Rawlings, which was totally unnecessary because you're presuming you're smarter at making baseballs than Rawlings. You're the people who are known for making baseballs, you think you can do better. You tell them to make the ball smaller. And what does that do? Oh, it decreases hitting. Guess what, Rob? It's harder to hit a smaller ball than a bigger one. Rob, like Jesus Christ. Jesus, the, the ineptitude. And then the gall to put it on the fans and say the fans, especially the younger fans, they don't have the patience for this. No one has the patience for an elaborate game of catch, man. Jesus Christ. Ugh. And, well, they tried, you know, 
what, what what was it like lightning the ball or whatever and then that just made too many home runs to the point where like you it was either a strikeout or a home run kind of game so then they made another tweak and then it just became a strikeout kind of game yeah 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 it, i mean it, like it shouldn't be this hard to make a baseball like we're all here for three true outcomes i think so long as sometimes those outcomes are actually fucking home runs. Right? Like, I am not here for two true outcomes of walk and strike out. And broken bat is the new true third outcome. Yeah, we need to rein this in. And I think that that means... Major League Baseball needs to look bad. But guess what? Major League Baseball always looks bad. When was the last time Major League Baseball looked good? I'm going to say, I'm going to say, okay, 2001, when it helped New York through 9-11, that made baseball look good. 2013, when it helped Boston through the bombings. Uh, Twenty. The Dodgers winning the World Series was fun, but tarnished by the fact that they should have done it already if it weren't for the Astros. So, and that it was in Texas, playing the Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah, after a shortened season that didn't need to be nearly as short as it was, if Manfred didn't suck at his job. Yeah, I I think you could take most American dogs and make them like overlord of the of major league baseball and they'd be doing a better job than manfred exactly it's it's baseball like this is probably ignorant but how hard can that be to run like you right you're in charge of a league that's been going since like 1881 like and has weathered scandal after scandal right we all just were like oh the steroid era yeah it was a thing and it's over now cool Hell, people are nostalgic for that now. Here's my other hot take. If you're going to let pitchers do this, just let hitters juice. If we're all super, then nobody is. If everybody's Barry Bonds, then everyone can be Garrett Cole. You know? I, I don't think that, you know, steroids is the right answer, but I think you should let them cork the bats again. Like... If there's a broken bat, like mm-hmm. 50 bouncy balls should jump out of that thing. Yeah. I'm down with that. Yeah. Bouncy balls. That's an interesting. I, yeah. I think that, that happened good. once. Like Sam really? Sosa corked his bat with bouncy balls. That's rad. Yeah. All right. We should probably wrap this podcast up. Unless right. you have anything else to say about pitching. Not at all. But you do have some mourning. So strike up the bagpipes, ladies and gentlemen. All right. To close this Sports out. are evil and bad to us. Here, uh, earlier this month, the Atlanta Falcons, after much rumors about this, decided that they would grant my favorite player of all time, Julio Jones, his trade request and ship him off to the Titans for a second-round pick, which for a 32-year-old receiver who is making a substantial chunk of money that counts against the salary cap, 
was about as good as you could hope for. Um, this really sucks beyond just football like reasons because just every single Sunday since Julio was drafted in 2011, the Falcons were just Matt Ryan and Julio Jones to me. And, you know, like you, I was a kid at the time, you know, how much attention can you really pay to the NFL when you're like 10 years old? So as soon as I started really getting into football, it was that always. And it just, it's going to see, going to be so weird to see him in another uniform and to see just Matt Ryan take the field and with wide receivers lined up where Julio is not a part of it and he's not on the sidelines hurt. Like it feels just like a part of like almost my childhood is just now just done. You know, it, the door has officially shut on the Falcon Super Bowl window, you know, like it was ever much open after three losing seasons in a row. But at least, you know, if we had the offense with Julio first round draft pick Kyle Pitts, Calvin Ridley, you know, at least we could maybe score 40 and give up 30 our way into a playoff spot. But no, they're committing to the rebuild. And there's just something very disheartening about being a fan of a franchise when their front office makes a move that pretty much guarantees that we are going to sacrifice sucking now for a hopefully better future. And I get that it's the smart thing to do after three losing seasons, but what made the Falcons the Falcons to me, you know, was Julio Jones, basically, you know, he was, he wanted to get his money, but besides that was a very humble superstar wide receiver for his entire career here was, you know, never one to really act out in front of the media and not nothing against receivers who do do that, but, he fit, you know, the offense well because Atlanta's had their share of, you know, Roddy Whites who will who will be the flashy guy for the media. And then you get your Julio Jones, who's just a physical freak and has nothing to prove to anybody off the field that he can't show on the field. I think I made a point there. But, um, <laughs> and, you know, work hard give everything for this franchise. And at the end of the day, I'm not really mad at him for requesting a trade because again, this team let him down, not the other way around so many times that it was him doing everything he could. And then some other act of God (laughs) making the Falcons lose, which is the way sports work because the Falcons are just physically incapable of winning anything important. Uh, And yeah, now it's back to square one of how do you replace the best player in your franchise's history? And what is even to get excited about about the Falcons without him and staring at max seven and nine in the face this season with a roster that's pretty much new despite only really losing one player. And that that is sad. I am sad, but uh, thank you first and foremost, Julio Jones for even though the season's always ended in heartbreak, we had some damn good times in between. So thanks dog. Oh, it was so sweet until you call him dog. 
Yeah. All right. Well, we all, I am a Saints fan. I do not like the Falcons, but I feel for you. This sucks. It is always hard. This is what it felt like for me when like David Ortiz or Steven Gerrard retired. So, but you never had to like see them wear another team's colors. And like, that's what's really going to mess with me. <sighs> Ortiz. Yeah. I never had to see that. I did have to see, um, Steven Gerrard play in MLS, which is a fate worse than death. But, you know, I, yeah, this is hard. And I'm sorry, man. Sports, sports suck. And that's the theme of this podcast. Yeah. Sports are bad. Sports are a bad use of our time. Please help us quit. Call 1 800 bets off. <laughs> there should be a sports helpline. We should start it. Even oh, yeah. though we could give no good advice. I think that was like a Corona commercial before. Really? Yeah, it's like Tony Romo on the beach. Sports got you stressed out. Have you tried drinking? Which is honestly a hilarious message to advertise. Oh, no, you just glitched out so hard. Okay. Uh... So I don't, I don't know what Tony Romo said, but I'm sure it was great. Anyway, this ends our podcast. Hell yeah. Good show, kids. <laughs> Some some real classic Justin the next time. We're back. Next You're time back. we'll probably talk about the Euros. Next time we'll probably check in on F1. Yeah. Feel free to avoid the podcast if you're an American sports fan. <laughs> I get it. I understand. I, I will probably have another NBA segment when, when things shake out again. So we... That's it, Justin. Reel them back. Reel them back. back. All right. See you later. See you.